Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would now just capture our heart and capture our mind as we come to you in prayer. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us be focused on you and that we would count the many blessings of our life as we do that. That we thank you, Lord, for the moms and the dads, for the aunts and uncles and all the others that are in our nuclear family. And thank you, dear God, for the blessing that has come so very often from those very people. We also thank you, Lord, that you have given a life to us that we might live. You've given us spiritual gifts and talents. You've given us opportunities. You've been our encourager when we would become discouraged. You've opened doors for us that we thought were closed. And thank you, Lord, you've closed some doors that needed to be closed. You've been there for us every moment of our life, and you have made a promise to us that as we, your children, know you as our Heavenly Father, that you're going to take care of us and you're going to help us. You're going to help us find joy in this life, and you're going to help us find purpose. And you're going to help us to live for you, and not just for ourselves. Father, there are a lot of times when we go over that litany of things that we should be thankful for, that some of those things just aren't part of our experience. There are times, Lord, when we don't have control over things, and other people do, and Things don't work out exactly like we would like them to work out. Sometimes people are not all that they might be, and sometimes there are things that they absolutely shouldn't be. There are times, dear God, when without intention we back into a sinful situation. And other times, dear God, when we go running wide open, looking at it and knowing exactly what it is. And we're driven by our own desire to have something that we shouldn't have or to gain it by a method that you don't want us to use. I ask you to forgive us, Lord. I'm sure that there are things in our lives that I've not just mentioned and things that we've probably not mentioned to other people that you know we struggle with. And I pray that while we worship you this day, that your Holy Spirit would so convict us of those sins that we would want to spill them forth and put them at the foot of the cross and allow the shed blood of Christ to wash over them and for us to be a forgiven people. I pray that for us, Lord, for each and every one of us. I pray that today might be a new beginning in our life and that we might be renewed in our walk with you and get refocused. And no matter how close we've been to you, Father, and no matter how aware we are of your presence, I pray that might intensify, that we might enjoy you all the days of our life, and that other people might see in us that joy. Father, when we come together to worship you, there are times that we need to just pause and think about what's going on, not just in our life, but in the lives of those around us. All of us, Lord, face challenges from one time to another in our life, and Those challenges are intended to draw us by faith closer to you. 
If there's someone today or more than one person who's struggling with financial or physical or emotional problems or broken relationships or whatever the case might be, I pray that through that time of testing that you would bring them closer to you. And like Job, when it's over and done, Lord, that they might look back and say, I used to hear about you, Father, but now I've experienced you. Now I've come to know you personally. And I pray that benefit for all of us. Lord, we have folks spread around this world who are in our families and people who are in military uniforms who are protecting us. We have people who represent us. And in this country, we have literally thousands of people that you have called to be in the helping services, from doctors and nurses and school teachers to a whole variety of other people, to policemen. Dear God, we ask your blessing on them. And as you use them according to your eternal plan, we pray that they might be blessed. We pray for the leadership of our country. We pray, Lord, that at a very fundamental level, they might come to know you and be under the convicting power of your Holy Spirit. Those from the president all the way down to local folks who govern us and who influence our lives. And we pray, Lord, that they would learn that valuable lesson of putting themselves aside and living for Jesus. What an experience it would be in our country to see that kind of renewal take place and that kind of conversion take place. So we pray for our country, and to do that, Lord, we pray for the people in our land and pray that they might come to know Jesus or walk more perfectly with him in the days that are ahead. And if this country is swept by that kind of revival, we give you the credit, Lord, for we know from whence it will have come. I thank you for our church, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity that you give each one of us to be here and to worship you and to be a part of the life of our church. I thank you that you're the architect of what goes on here and that you have the future already worked out for us. And I pray, dear God, that we might understand that future more perfectly and that we might, in a small way, capture part of your mind and understand it, that we might live according to your plan. What a gracious God. A God who's taught us through his own son how to love. A God who's taught us how to forgive. A God who shed grace on us when we really deserve judgment. Father, on behalf of all of us in this room, and on behalf of your children around the world, thank you. Thank you for loving us and for changing our lives now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and open them up to Acts, the 16th chapter. Acts, the 16th chapter. And we're going to look at the 14th and 15th verses. And while you do that, I'll tell you about a little chuckle I had this morning. I walked into one of our Sunday school classes and sat down, and there were 
35 or 40 adults sitting in the class, and the first thing I heard was the teacher said, well, now let's look at Acts 16, 14, and 15. And my thought was, don't go too far into it. I'm going to be preaching on that. Then my next thought was, he sure must want that 35 or 40 people to hear this. So if you're sitting there, you all listen, you hear? Acts 16, verses 14 and 15. As is our habit, I encourage you to put your finger in your Bible when you get there and look up so that we might continue together. I would like you to keep your Bibles open. I'd like you to follow along phrase by phrase and see why I say the things that I say. Let's ask the Lord for some help. Let's pray. Father, we need more than our years of experience. We need more than our education. We need even more than the knowledge we've accumulated. We need the moving of your Holy Spirit as we open your word. It is inspired by you, and it's intended for us. I pray, dear God, that you would help us to hear very clearly every word, every phrase, and both of these verses. And I pray, dear God, that they would impact us, that they'd touch our heart and renew our minds so that when we leave this place, we'd be richer and better equipped to live our life in a way that's pleasing to you and beneficial to other people. So, Father, we present this to you now, asking for your help and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 1907, a lady by the name of Anna Jarvis started a movement that we now know as the Celebration of Mother's Day. If you go back and read the chronicles of her experience, she ran into all kinds of opposition. It wasn't uniquely a Christian activity. It was, in her mind, to be a national movement to honor mamas. I went back and read a little bit about her mother. And I want you to know her mama was not a perfect mama. And neither are any of the mamas walking around today. But her mama had a couple of things that she had done in her life that were deserving of honor. During the Civil War, Ann Jarvis, her mother, had cared medically and physically for both northern and southern troops who had been hurt. She was a lady apparently of very deep compassion for other human beings. She also was a pretty brave lady for her day in that she started a movement in the South and in the North, and the intention was to get the mamas in the South and the North to stand up and say, enough of this, let's stop killing each other. And she was an advocate of peace. So you understand why her daughter, Anna, wanted to honor her? It was out of respect for her. Very gradually over the years... More and more people started to observe the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day, and after a while it made its way into the church, which was at the center of most people's lives in those days, and became a part of what the church would also do to acknowledge Mother's Day. There's an accounting of something that Anna did later in life. 
She walked into Wanamaker's department store in Philadelphia to have lunch one day. Any of you ever heard this story? And as she walked in and sat down and opened up the menu, she noticed that they had Mother's Day salad on the menu. And this very genteel lady became incensed that somebody would commercialize Mother's Day. Can you imagine how she'd feel today? So she ordered a Mother's Day salad. And when it came, she took money out of her purse and laid it down on the table. And then she took the plate of salad and turned it upside down on the floor and got up and walked out. She was a lady of great conviction. I think there was probably a better way to show it because some innocent party had to clean that up. But I think it was her conviction that you shouldn't commercialize something when you're trying to express your love and your admiration. And I think she did make that point. Unfortunately, it didn't carry over to our day. I want you to know I've thought a lot about what I'm about to say. As you and I come together to worship, we have a variety of experiences. Some have been blessed with a mother who was a godly, caring mother. Others have never known their mom. A few have wished they didn't. But I'm convinced if you stop and look at any of us, all of us, and instead of thinking about the negative things, which so often are the things we remember because they were so climatic in our life, and we forget all the mundane things that took place. So instead of doing that, if we focus on the positive things, what is it that another person has done that really pleased God? And when we start to think that way, we begin to realize we not only have a reason to honor moms today. We have a reason to honor other people. That's not the power of positive thinking. That's just being honest about other people. And there are endearing qualities in everybody. What I want to do today is I've chosen maybe an unlikely candidate to talk about as a mama. It's not one of the passages we usually go to on Mother's Day. It's not Proverbs 31 which is what you typically hear preached on a day like today. Instead, (laughs) it's a passage that talks about a lady named Lydia and her personal experience, Lydia the mother. I want you to follow along as I read. I'm reading from the 16th chapter of Acts, the 14th and 15th verses. Listen very carefully as God speaks to us. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart and responded to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... Come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. May God add his blessing 
to the reading of his word. See anything in those two verses about Mama's Day? Let me show you what it says about Mama's. Picture in your mind the Middle East at the time of Paul. Picture him coming through modern-day Turkey and making his way across the waterway into Macedonia. Picture him going through Thessalonica and then to Philippi. Twice while he was doing that journey, which was a preaching journey, he and his companions were telling people who'd never heard about Jesus, about the risen Jesus Christ. And they come to a point where Paul and the others are about to move to the north and northeast in Turkey, and the Holy Spirit says, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to move over toward the coast. So they move over toward the coast. And then as they go along the coastline from little town to little town, they have an experience where they are called into Macedonia, which is to the north, into truly Greek territory. And they cross over and they start going from town to town in Macedonia, ultimately to Philippi. Now, we can walk away from that thought very quickly, but I want you to stop and think a minute. How many times in your life has God said, I don't want you to go there? And he's thrown up a roadblock. He's caused you to rethink something. He's caused you not to go where you otherwise would have gone. And he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go this way instead. And he begins to open doors and influence you. And the next thing you know, you're going in a direction you hadn't planned. You ever had that experience? I have. And I bet you have too. If you stop and analyze your life, times when God just said, don't do that. Don't go there. But God had a purpose. One of his purposes was to get Paul and the others to the city of Philippi. And as was so appropriately taught in Sunday school this morning, there were not enough Jewish people in Philippi to warrant having a synagogue. So on their Sabbath, which was from Friday night sundown until Saturday night sundown, the people would come out of the town of Philippi and they'd go down to the river banks and there they would have a time of prayer and a time of worship. And if you read the passage before this, you'll see that Paul understood that and he and his companions came out of the city as they were starting their time of worship and that some of the ladies had already made their way down to that river bank and he started to talk to them and to share Jesus with them. One of those ladies was a lady named Lydia. If you look at that first verse, verse 14, it says, A woman named Lydia came from the city of Thyatira. Interesting enough that Roman city in Turkey is in a Roman province at that time that was called Lydia. So lots of folks say, well, that's where she got her name. It was a reference back to the province where she was from. I don't know where she got her name other than her mama and daddy gave it to her. Isn't it interesting some of the names our moms and dads give us? Whaley, Signius, Barton, Junior, Bill. We could enjoy some of your names also, couldn't we? Isn't that interesting? My dad and mom had a reason. 
they had a very good reason. They said the reason we gave you that name is because in the Old South, particularly in the Charleston area where our family was from, the people who had money liked to keep it, so they intermarried. And he said the Whaleys and the Cygnuses and the Bartons were all wealthy people. And you know my response was, Daddy, how come you just gave me the name? I sure didn't get any of that money. There was a reason her mom and dad called her Lydia. Scripture tells us a little bit about her. Not only that she is from what is now modern-day Turkey, but it says she was a seller of purple. She was in a pretty exclusive business. The dye that you use to dye clothing purple, and if you remember other scriptures, I'm looking at purple right now. If you remember other scriptures, it was a color used by royalty, worn by kings, by people who had a lot of money. And the reason was that there was a shellfish in the Mediterranean Sea that had a bladder in it that had purple liquid. So to get the liquid to dye the clothing, somebody had to go out into the Mediterranean Sea in a boat and get to a depth where that particular kind of shellfish was plentiful and dive down and pick up the shellfish from the bottom of the sea, bring it back, break it open, break the bladder open and preserve that liquid, and then sell that liquid to those who were dying clothing. She was in a pretty exclusive business. Pretty ingenious for her to do that. It says that she was a seller of purple. She probably was pretty well-to-do as a result of all of that. And then it begins to talk in that same verse about what God did in her life. When you read the verse, it says, a worshiper of God. What it's doing is saying this is who she was. How did she get to be a worshiper of God? If you put it in the context of Scripture, Scripture teaches every one of us are born sinners. Ephesians 2.1 says we were born spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. So you could poke us spiritually and we wouldn't move. We were dead. You could encourage us spiritually. There was nothing to encourage. We were not regenerated so we could be responsive to what God might be doing or the Holy Spirit. It required God saying... I want you to be regenerated and through the power of his spirit for him to make us alive spiritually. And when that starts to happen, then we're receptive to him and to the moving of his spirit and we come by faith to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So simply when you see the phrase, a worshiper of God, if she was able to hear Paul and accept what he had to say, She was being called by God. Some would say, well, she was a Jew and she was worshiping in a Jewish sense. If that is true, and it probably was because she came down to the riverbank to worship, what God was doing was getting her ready for this encounter with his apostle that she might hear about Jesus. You want to do a fun experience sometime? Sit down in the privacy of your own thoughts, and think back over your life and ask yourself, how did I get where I am spiritually? 
Did God put situations in my life or did he put people in my life to influence me? Many of you know I came to know Christ in my early 30s. Gone to church all my life. Came to know Jesus personally in my early 30s. I can look back, and I have done this, and I can point out at virtually every stage of my life people that God put into my life And they kind of were like boundaries, and I would bounce up against one of them, and I'd bounce up against the other, and he just kind of led me through my life. Have you experienced that? That's what God does with us. He loves us. So he's at work in our life. What he had done with this woman, Lydia, is he'd done just that. He got her to that particular river bank at precisely the moment that Paul and his companions we're going to talk to her about Jesus. Isn't that a fascinating miracle? Somebody who would not have thought about God now begins to think about him. And it's a compelling experience to come to know him. Scripture says very simply, not only that she worshiped God, but that she was listening. You ever wish you could listen better? I think my wife wishes I would listen better. I know none of you ever have that experience, but isn't it interesting how you have selective hearing? Ladies, any of your husbands have, Linda, keep your hand down, have selective hearing? Any of you? Your husbands do, don't they? I watched a fellow student in seminary We unlovingly called him the $6 million man. He had more metal in his body than anybody I'd ever seen. He wore hearing aids, big, heavy-duty hearing aids. And every now and then in a lecture class, I'd see him go. And everybody in the class knew what he'd just done. He turned them off so he didn't have to listen. We're not born being able to listen spiritually. Romans 3 tells us we don't seek after God. We're not even interested in God. So for Lydia to be able to hear, God turned on her hearing. And he did that through the power of his Holy Spirit. Can you remember a time when you couldn't hear? I have people ask me all the time, and you think about this also. You were in church all those years. Did they never preach the gospel? I'm not the one to ask. I couldn't hear. I don't know if they did or they didn't. I do consulting work with churches, and I have made a practice when I go into a congregation that I'll stop at a convenience store or some kind of retail business within a block or two of the church I'm working with. And I walk in and say, can you tell me, and I name the church, where the church is? And almost uniformly, they cannot. Sometimes they could see the church out the window. One occasion, it was straight across the street. And they say no. Well, why do they not know? Why are they not sensitive? Because they're not interested in the things of God. If we had that built into us naturally and could listen, we would turn our radio on and listen. We'd pick up a Christian book and we'd read it. We'd go to church somewhere, but that's not the case. When you're not listening, you can drive right by those human experiences and not even be aware the opportunity is there. And what God did for this mama 
is he reached into her life and he flipped a switch. And she wanted to worship God. And she wanted to listen. One of the neat things about listening is once your appetite is generated, you can't get enough. You want to know more. You want to listen more carefully. And if God's at work in your life right now and you're feeling that sensitivity and you are thirsting for his word, find an avenue to have something like standing at a fire hydrant and let his word come to you and just drink it in because he's the one that's caused you to be able to listen. This is a pretty unique lady. Wouldn't you like to have this lady for your mama? She had a heart for God. She wanted to worship him. She's a lady who could listen and hear. And I think implied in that is then have application for what she could hear. When you hear, what do you do with it? You just take in the knowledge? Or is there something else implied? Scripture is very clear that there's a response. I love the passage from Acts 2, 37 through 41. You might read it later this afternoon. People are standing in the streets in Jerusalem, some of the very people who crucified Christ and who wanted to kill the apostles. And the apostles are in our upper room, wanting to hide, I am sure. And the Holy Spirit comes and visits them. He makes so much outward noise that people in the streets gather together because they hear what's going on. And as they gather, Peter and the other apostles, under the power of that Holy Spirit, come down out of that upper room and stand in the midst of these people who were terribly hostile. And Peter begins to preach to them under the power of the Spirit. And you know one of the first things that's recorded in the Acts sermon? He says, you are the ones who crucified Christ. You're the ones who killed him. That's a little confrontational. He said it because it was the truth. And God used that very startling reality to pierce the hearts of people who could hear. And he had touched them and allowed them to hear. And do you remember their response? They accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then they said as a group, what do we do now? How are we to respond now? What do you want us to get engaged in? That's the natural thing for people who are born again to want to do. The question is, Lydia, the mama, coming to know Christ, what should she do now? If you look on down, you'll begin to understand the 15th verse. It says, And when she and her household had been baptized. She hadn't been baptized yet. She's just become a believer. And why do you get baptized? You get baptized as an outward sign of what has already happened inside of you. It's not a saving grace. You are saved and you ask to be baptized to make a public declaration of what's happened in here. It's a way to confirm for yourself, and it's a way to let other people know what's going on. It's a beautiful, beautiful sacrament. 
she goes home. And she starts to talk to her family. Now, there's all kind of conjecture about who was in the household. Most of us want to say, well, there were children in the household. And she starts to minister to them spiritually. There may have been a husband in the household. We don't know the answer to that. There may have been servants, which was typical of the day in that household. And as I say these things, I think back about Genesis 17, when circumcision was instituted by God, and it was done to everyone who was in the household. And it's very specific. It says that that sacrament was performed on the children before the eighth day, little boys of their life, on those who resided in the household under the influence of Abraham and others, and even on those who spent the night. I think I'd want to talk about that before I spent the night. But if you came under the spiritual influence of the head of house, they were going to tell you about God. So what's the natural thing for Lydia? Lydia goes home and she starts to love on her family and share her experience with her own family. I've noticed something over the years. You can take a group of us Christians and you take us overseas to do a missions trip and we'll tell other people about Jesus. You can take us to another state in this country And we typically, given the opportunity, will tell people about Jesus. If you take us to our own neighborhood, we're very unlikely to do that. And if you take us behind closed doors in our own home, many Christians are very unlikely to talk about Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The model, I think, is of this mama who goes home and starts to share Jesus with those in her family. And as she shares with them, they as a group are then baptized. This is one of the places that we Presbyterians go to show why we have our children baptized. To show their inclusion, not their salvation, their inclusion into the family of God where grace is at work. If you look at the passage, it says, She urged us, meaning Paul, And Luke and the others, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon him. Interesting fact. You have a sidewalk in front of your house? Used to be everybody did you lived in the city. Now, most areas don't have sidewalks. You have a front porch that you can sit on. I'm not talking about the decorative front porches that you can't get a chair and your knees between the house and the railing. A lot of front porches today are made just for cosmetic purposes. Do you have one you can sit on? But if you sit on it, is there anybody walking by anymore? without a sidewalk? You see, up until the last 30 years, one of the most effective tools that we Christians have had is our front yard, our porch, and our sidewalk. And we would invite people into conversation. 
And then we would invite them to come in and sit and have a beverage and sit on our couch or our chair or around our table. And more evangelism was done in the home in that setting than just about any place else. And you know what our experience is today? I think about it every time I go to my home here. As I approach, I punch a button. My door opens. I drive in. I punch a button. My door closes. Now I'm safe. I go into my house, and I'm very happy if I can come out the next morning without having somebody knock on the door. I get in my car, I punch a button, and I scoot out, and I punch a button, and I drive away. And I have just walked away from one of the best tools God has ever given us, and that is to have the gift of hospitality and invite a non-believer into our home to share with us and get to know us. And when you get to know somebody at that kind of social level, you can develop a relationship And God very often will give you an opportunity to share Jesus. Linda and I have done that a lot over the years. Right now, you're doing that for us. A lot of you are inviting us in. But for years and years, we did that. We had a young couple in Texas that came to the church I was pastoring. and I wanted to disciple them and spend time with them, so we invited them over for an evening meal. And they came. Delightful couple. Probably 10 years younger than we were. Had a little boy, cute little boy. And they came and seemingly had a really good time, and we did talk about spiritual things around the table, and hugged goodbye, and they got in their car and drove off, and we saw them the next three or four Sundays. And i got to tell you, I was hoping they'd reciprocate and invite us into their home, but they didn't. So after six or eight weeks, I said to Linda, let's try that again. So we invited them to come. Steve and Linda came to our home, immediately accepted. Oh, yes, we'd like to do that. Came to our home, sat at our table. And as we're enjoying each other, Steve said to us, he said, you know, we've been studying spiritual gifts at church. And I said, that's right, I was preaching a series. He said, well, we have figured out that you and Linda have the spiritual gift of hospitality. Well, I'm glad he liked the food. And then he said, and we know what our gift is. It's receiving hospitality. (laughs) He actually said that to us. And then he said to us, he was a, a graduate engineer working in the engineering field. His wife managed a very large tire company in the community. And he said, our goal in life is to own a sailboat and sail around the world. So we have no furniture in our home. And that's why we haven't invited you. They then invited us. They had bean bags. They had boxes with their clothes in them instead of a chest of drawers. They had a mattress and box springs on the floor. They were doing exactly what they said. They were putting their money into this beautiful sailboat, which they'd already bought. Sitting at your table. You can say, I love you. Sitting in your living room with friends or people from your neighborhood or work, you can say, I care about you. I really genuinely care. This mama was modeling for us how you share Jesus with somebody else.
You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to a special class that teaches you what to say when they say something. You just open the doors of your home and invite somebody to come into your life. And I would think there are people right in your neighborhoods that would say yes under the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't worry about it. If he brings them, he'll help you talk when the time comes. Now, I believe when I read about Lydia, what God has just said is, here's a mama, a typical mama, who has learned how, and I think this is important, to keep a balance between making money and taking care of her family. And today, you and I need to find that balance. That balance is way tipped in the wrong direction. I am not saying that women shouldn't work out of the home. I'm saying we need to have a healthy balance so we can be what God wants us to be. And I think through this example, you're starting to see a woman whose children will want to honor her because she is absolutely deserving of honor. Do you understand? Let's pray. Father, it is an opportunity that you give to some to be a mom. And Lord, we don't ever get that, or being a daddy, or being a friend. We don't ever get that down perfectly. And we're learning as we go. We're not born knowing how to do those roles. But you promise to help us, Lord, and you give us examples like Lydia. And you encourage us to be the people you want us to be. I pray as this afternoon goes by that you would cause all of us to take a moment and to rethink this passage. And to ask ourselves, how can we be more like the biblical Lydia? How can we touch our own families? And how can we touch other people? Thanks, Lord, for letting us get into your word. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. You know, one of the characteristics of a beautiful, beautiful church is when the church has folks who know how to show, show grace. <clears throat> I want you to know that I have witnessed our elders in recent times show amazing grace. And you ought to be thankful for that and pray for them. Because God does wonderful things with people who are filled with grace. Now, that's all a lead-in. You know why? I'm going to give all of you ladies an opportunity to show grace this morning. We ordered a hundred flowers, and I think we have 50. So as you pick up a flower, which we very much want you to have, look around, and if there's someone that you think needs to be honored more than you, show grace to them. Isn't that a wonderful opportunity? Isn't that a creative way to deal with a problem? (laughs) 
God bless you and God keep you, my friends. I hope you have a beautiful week in the Lord. I pray you'll feel the power of his spirit in you and be so humbled that you say, Lord, here am I. Send me and use me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.